I'm Don Mockholtz, and you're listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 89, for the week of September 15th, 2021. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, September 15th, the moon is 75% full in the southern sky. The moon will be full on Monday, late in the day, at 2354 Universal Time. At that time, it passes well south of the ecliptic, so no lunar eclipse this month. By next Tuesday, September 21st, the moon will be rising shortly after the sun sets, and it will be up all night long. On Thursday, September 16th, the moon passes about 5 degrees south of the planet Saturn. The next day, Friday, September 17th, the moon passes a few degrees south of the planet Jupiter. These are good opportunities to find these planets during the daytime, using the moon as reference. Now, this month, this can be done late in the afternoon after the moon and planets rise. Next month, October 13th through 15th, and during November, November 10th and 11th, it can be done earlier in the day when everything is higher in the sky. You will need a telescope and find the moon first. Use a wide field of view and focus your telescope so that the moon is a sharp image. From here, you move your telescope to the planet's position. To find out which direction to move to the planet, use a planetarium program or heavens-above.com and their interactive map. And this will help you to go from the moon to the planet. Saturn in the daytime will show its rings. You will not see its moon, but the planet and rings look spectacular even in daytime. As for Jupiter in the daytime, and and Jupiter is brighter than Saturn and easier to see, you can see the bands on the planet, but you probably will not see the four moons of Jupiter. The moon is full near the time of the autumn equinox, which occurs next Wednesday. So at this time of the year, the full moon is moving along the ecliptic and moving a bit further north each night. And therefore, it appears from the northern hemisphere, to rise at about the same time each evening. Typically, the average time between moon rises is about 40 to 50 minutes later each night. But this week, from 35 degrees north latitude, the moon rises as little as 27 minutes later each night. Now that is reversed in the springtime when the full moon rises 70 minutes later each night. Now, here's a project I discussed 
last year at this time, and it's a good season to do this. Let's watch for birds and bats flying across the face of the moon. I am not making this up. This week, the moon is full, low in the sky, and many birds are on the move. Birds migrate quite often only at night, and the best way to see them is to watch them fly across the full moon. So sometime this week, get the nearly full moon in your telescope or binoculars. I recommend a telescope with at least 20 power. If you use too little magnification, you might miss some of the birds. These birds might be a mile or more away from you. Get relaxed and watch the moon for 15 to 20 minutes. The moon might be blindingly bright. So use a filter and or stop down the aperture of your telescope so less light comes through. Or wear sunglasses. You will see birds, perhaps some bats, planes, and anything else that goes across the moon. They all move very quickly, gone before you know it, as they fly across the face of the moon. The planet Mercury reaches its furthest point from the sun in our western evening sky this week. Mercury is the closest planet to the sun. It takes 88 days to go around the sun once. Mercury is small. The diameter is about 40% of the Earth's. This time around, Mercury is south of the sun and south of the ecliptic. The result is that the Southern Hemisphere is favored for seeing Mercury in the evening sky. It will set less than an hour after the sun in the Northern Hemisphere, more than two hours later as seen from the Southern Hemisphere. Mercury will appear in twilight skies as a star-like object below the brighter planet Venus. Draw an imaginary line between Venus and the sun. Mercury will be a bit closer to Venus than to the Sun. Mercury shows a tail made of sodium. Now this is a difficult observation. It's better seen in images than with the eye. And it usually requires a filter to filter out everything but the sodium. I gave a lecture via Zoom to the China Lake California Astronomical Society on Monday, September 13th. It was about visual comet hunting. Now, this talk is long, 90 minutes long. I have 150 slides on PowerPoint, and I cover a lot of ground. The club members seem to enjoy it, and I got a lot of questions and favorable comments afterwards. I had mentioned in last week's podcast that I would be giving this talk. I also mentioned it on Facebook. Unfortunately, the link to the Zoom meeting on the club's website did not operate, and perhaps some of you who wanted to hear it did not get the opportunity. I will be giving a similar talk on Friday, November 19th to the Sacramento Valley Astronomical Society. I say similar talk as no two talks of mine are the same. I review each one and I amend it, taking out slides that 
didn't work real well, and adding slides to better illustrate a point. Assuming the link to the Sacramento Club is available to the public, I will announce it in this podcast and in Facebook the week prior. And that's about two months away, Friday, November 19th. If your astronomy club wants a Zoom talk on visual comet hunting or on the Messe Marathon, let me know. I can be reached at, at dontheastronomer at gmail.com. Please note the talk on visual comet hunting will last about 90 minutes. It is not boring. The talk on the Messe Marathon lasts about 45 minutes. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, September 15th through Tuesday, September 21st? It depends upon where you are located. This week we have six zones. All you need to know is your latitude. North of 62 degrees north, you will not see it at all this week. Between 54 and 62 degrees north, you can see the ISS in your evening sky for part of the week. Between 34 and 54 degrees north, the International Space Station will be in your evening sky for the whole week. Now, during some nights, you might be able to see it twice. Between 5 degrees south and 34 degrees north, the equatorial region, the ISS will be visible in your evening sky for only the first part of the week. But some of you might also be able to see it in your morning sky. From 40 to 5 degrees south, the ISS will be in your morning sky for at least part of the week. South of 40 degrees south, you will not see the ISS at all this week. To determine where it will be in your sky, go to the website heavens-above.com and enter your location, then click on ISS. Two more comets are expected to brighten in our skies over the next few months. They are still a bit faint, and one is in the morning sky and one is in the evening sky. Next week, I'll produce a map for the evening sky comet as the moon will then be out of the sky. And the following week, I'll produce a map for the morning sky comet. The comet in the evening sky is periodic comet Durrest, also known as 6P-D-A-R-R-E-S-T, Durrest. It orbits the sun every six and a half years, and some of you old-timers out there might remember seeing it before. This time around, the comet is closest to the sun this week at 1.5 astronomical units, with each astronomical unit being the distance between the Earth and the sun. This comet, DRS, has a habit of brightening after perihelion, so it might reach magnitude 10 by late October. Comet Dierrest was discovered in 1851 by Heinrich Dierrest at magnitude 10. The comet's orbit has been changed several times by passing near Jupiter.
In the morning sky, we have periodic comet 67P, Cheromoff Gerasimenko. Wow, who comes up with these names? This one was discovered at magnitude 13 in 1969 by two astronomers in Russia. One, Churamov, found it on a photographic plate taken of another comet in the area. As he prepared to measure the position of the known comet, he found this one. Now, the photograph was taken by Gerasimenko, so his name is on the comet, too. It was not unusual at that time for both the photographer and the person finding the comet on the photograph to both get their names on a new comet. This comet, 67P, orbits the sun every 6.4 years and will be closest to the sun in early November at 1.2 astronomical units. You might remember this comet was visited by the Rosetta spacecraft, and you might also remember that it had the so-called rubber ducky nucleus, two lobes attached to each other. A lander landed on the surface of the comet, but no samples were taken for return to Earth. With a bright moon in the sky, the evening comets will be difficult to see, but those in the morning sky discussed here and in podcast 87 will be visible until the moon is up all night long, which will be late this weekend. The morning comets are plotted on podcast 87, map 3. Ephemerides, that is the positions of each comet, are found on podcast 86, comet positions. With an increasing moon in the evening sky, the four morning comets are still visible under good conditions. You can also get the positions for these and other comets from the website heavens-above.com, then click on Comets. My 50th high school reunion is coming up soon, and this brings back a lot of memories. Let me share a few astronomical moments. By the time I entered high school, grades 9 through 12, I was already interested in astronomy. I had a 2-inch, that is a 50-millimeter refractor, and I, I knew my way around the sky. Halfway through my junior year, December 1968, I received my second telescope, a Criterion RV6, a 6-inch, 15-centimeter reflector on an equatorial mount. By this time, I was serious about astronomy and was considering becoming a professional astronomer. That is to say, if someone were to ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, the first and sometimes only answer that came to mind was to become a professional astronomer. However, I had learned what it took to do that, and I was concerned that for a master's degree and I realized a master's degree was necessary to do anything in the field. I had to learn a foreign language. Actually, two foreign languages. And I had to choose from German, French, and Russian, two of those three. I had learned that I was not good at foreign languages. It has something to do in the way I perceive sound in my hearing. 
And that wasn't the only hurdle. If I wanted a PhD in astronomy, that's about 10 years of college. And the job outlook for astronomers in the mid-1970s was not good. I wondered if I would end up being an educated, degreed astronomer with no job available except for sweeping the floors. Maybe sweeping the floors at an observatory, but if there were no jobs, there's no jobs. So again... I was considering becoming a professional astronomer, but figured it was only about a 50% chance of ever occurring. If I knew the future, I would have said I would become an eyeglass optician, a laser technician, a real estate appraiser, and now a licensed drone pilot, because those were the careers I ended up doing. Nevertheless, I leaned heavily towards astronomy while in high school, and in my senior year, I took a physics class taught by Mr. Robert Goltra. He knew of my interest in astronomy, and the classroom had unitron refractor telescopes sitting in the corner. It had a three- or four-inch objective, a hefty telescope for a high school. It was seldom used. When it came to discussing the physics of light, Mr. Goltra asked if I would be willing to discuss telescope optics. I readily agreed and brought in a parabolic mirror to demonstrate a reflector and my two-inch refractor to demonstrate a refractor. I felt comfortable talking to my class and the lecture went well. Then came Comet Bennett, March 1970. It was a morning sky object, and I suggested we all meet at a local park to observe it at 4 o'clock in the morning. The class had about 25 students. Guess how many came out to see the comet? Two, Bob and Mary. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? The moon reaches full phase. It's called the harvest moon in the northern hemisphere. Use the moon to find Saturn and Jupiter in the daytime. And in the evening, watch birds fly across the face of the moon. And look for Mercury. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 89 for September 15th, 2021. I'm Don Mockles. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockles.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. You can contact me at dontheastronomer at gmail.com. Once again, that's dontheastronomer at gmail.com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. We will discuss what's up in the sky. The autumn equinox is upon us. We'll look at some deep sky objects in the evening sky, and I'll discuss observational astronomy. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.